0: to Fragments of Fear. My name is Peter Elamstad and with me my co-host Rachel Nisbet. How are you doing Rachel?
1: I'm doing well. I'm excited to get going with our first ever podcast. How are you doing?
0: I'm fine. I'm very excited as well. We've been talking about this for a while now so really glad to finally do it.
1: Yeah I think this is something we've had in the works for well I think we've Talked about doing a podcast for years now.
0: We have, yeah. Having long discussions about films on Twitter is not really ideal. So it's it's much better to bring it over to the podcast format.
1: Yeah, I think we, we message each other so much about films and because we're like, I'm more of a night owl and you're a morning person or you, well, you have children, so you have to be a morning person. So if you wake up and you've got, or you go to bed or whatever, you see these screeds of messages and just trying to like respond to it all. So we thought, yeah, we'll bring our conversations over to um, podca- the podcast format. So it's just easier, you know, to talk to each other rather than use delayed responses.
0: Yeah, definitely. So maybe we should start off by saying what Fragments of Fear will be, because this is not really the first episode. This is sort of episode zero, I guess. Yeah, it's just kind of us
1: like outlining what we want to do with this podcast and what we want to talk about and maybe future ideas. So as we've already discussed, we've both wanted to do a podcast focusing on, well, primarily, Shally, although we might you know, and um, widen the scope at some point. We wanted to kind of just do a deeper dive. So there's lots of kind of podcasts um, about horror or film in general that maybe look at Jolly for one episode or a couple of episodes. But yeah, we just thought we'd do something that's a bit more in depth, coming from um, people that are quite well versed in the genre like we've watched pretty much kind of every show there is out there um so yeah we thought we'd just kind of really get into the nitty gritty and um discuss the films and more depth.
0: yeah and sometimes i feel that when it comes to podcast and jally that the same times are being discussed so we thought it would probably be good to talk about these lesser discussed and sometimes underappreciated films as well and let people know about them because i feel that sometimes people stop at Either the big four, which would be uh, Argento, Fulci, Bava, and Martino, or they only watch what's available on Blu-ray. And there's so much more out there to discover.
1: Yeah, there's so many like, hidden gems, films off the beaten track. So it's a really good way of showcasing the lesser disgust, uh, shall we, that are out there it's kind of fun for us because we we love these films and we kind of want other people to discover them as well and have somebody else to talk to about them
0: exactly since we know our um, way around the genre fairly well we hope that we'll be able to sort of provide a, a context for these f- films place in the genre
1: yeah because it's really interesting to kind of look at these films and compare them to one another obviously we're going to be looking at these films by themselves but, you know, you can provide a bit of context it to other films of that era or other films um, of that particular director. So I think, you know, as we go on and do more and more episodes and cover more films, you'll start to be able to track kind of the evolution of the genre and various themes and ideas throughout films.
0: Yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do that and also provide some more background on some of these directors and actors and the production history, which is something that I... Th- think it's really interesting as well and which is sometimes quite difficult to find information about that's that's what we hope to um to achieve at least
1: yeah if we can kind of provide a bit of that background or maybe come up with something that you might not know or be familiar with and hopefully like kind of our aim is to like we said before is to get people to go and seek out these films they might not be familiar with or maybe even just look at the films you know with a fresh um pair of eyes so i guess we should really um we kind of were saying that we know that know our way around the genre, but you might be thinking, "I've never heard of the pair of you. Don't know your kind of background." <laughs> so I suppose we should perhaps introduce ourselves and how we're kind of versed in the genre and our time getting into it and what we what we do.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go on. Yeah, so um, I'm Swedish uh, and uh, I live in Stockholm, and I grew up. Uh, in the 70s and i've i've always loved horror from as far back as i can remember and even as as a child i remember watching films on tv uh that that scared me and i really enjoyed that so the first film that i really remember making an impact on me in terms of horror was when i saw the thing back uh back in the mid 80s it must have been and after that i just started devouring like any horror i could find anything i could get my hands on we started with you know the easily accessible stuff like the american horror films uh, nightmare on elm street friday the 13th and that kind of thing and at this point in time i didn't have a vcr so i had to go over to a friend's house and i was sort of i had to watch what he wanted to to watch and he was really into the gory stuff so he used to order these bootleg um, VHSs. I really tried to remember, because this was back in the 80s, so it's been a while, but I, I think the first Italian horror film that I watched was Suspiria, and uh, I know Cannibal Holocaust was one of the earliest ones as well. But in terms of Jallo, I've narrowed it down to three films. So it must have been either Tenebrae or New York Ripper, or possibly Argenta's opera. And opera was such a big disappointment because when it was released on VHS in Sweden, it was the cut down of very a- American version, Terror uh, at the Opera, which is something like 88 minutes instead of the, what is it, 107 or something, yeah. I think. And that 88 minutes was cut down to 83 <laughs> In Sweden, a so basically, of yeah. So basically, all the violence was cut out, and I was really disappointed by it. And obviously, at this time, I didn't know anything about the jalo genre as a whole. And this was this was back in the late eighties and early nineties. It was not that, and it wasn't that easy to find any info about this kind of stuff because this was pre-internet, obviously. Mm. So, um, well, in the nineties, I, I started uh, whenever I got a hold of like fan scenes and stuff like um John martin's jallo pages or Stephen Thrower's eyeball or flesh and blood and and that kind of thing so I started learning a little bit about the jallo genre um but it was by this time it was it was still mostly like I'd seen the argento films I'd seen most of the Fulci jelly but it wasn't really until when I went on to the early internet horror forums like Splatterhouse Net and DVD Maniacs, horror DVDs and Johnny Redmond's Love Lock and Load forum that I started trading stuff and I, I started finding more um, Jolly. So that was basically my way into it, I guess. What was what was the first jello that you saw?
1: My first Jallo was Tenebrae, so perhaps well one of the first ones you saw as well, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, how that matches up. It's really interesting hearing your story because um, there's a wee bit of an age difference between us. Um, we won't For sure. specify how much, but you can probably <laughs> guess from what I'm going to say next <laughs> but when I grew up. Um, so I grew up in the 2000s. Um, well, I, I was born in 1989, so I've hit the dread of 30. But yeah, no, I, I grew up in the 2000s, so I had quite a, a different experience from Peter. Um, I'm always kind of saying to to Peter and like other people that are a bit older than me that I was very fortunate to to grow up in a time when accessibility to these films was so much easier i mean like hearing these stories of people trading vhss and i've heard of people that you you know were kind of when the the video nasties um debacle was going on they were kind of illegally picking up vhss and things of famous horror films um so yeah I definitely kind of came at a time when it was a lot easier to see these films and yeah. kind of my first experiences were um DVDs but um thinking kind of of my like journey into horror I suppose it's a wee bit different because I don't remember being like overtly into horror films in my kind of childhood or early teens um I kind of liked horror things you know like, more like you know reading about ghosts and aliens and I had a club in, in primary school where we talked about ghosts and monsters and the supernatural. <laughs> so we all met that's together wonderful. and read out of a, a magazine about all these ghouls and things. Um so I guess that's kind of where my interest and in things like that um started. Um but then yeah. when I was, you know, in my early teens and was going to sleepovers and all that kind of thing, obviously you'd have your obligatory uh, horror movies. Um, but I was never really that into what I saw. I wouldn't say I was scared. I just wasn't really bothered by the horror films of that time period. And I suppose kind of looking back, you know, I have memories of watching things like Jeepers Creepers yeah. and things like that. So films that, to me like felt very, I don't mean dirty in terms of like content, but they got quite grimy and very brown and green and pr- predominantly American horror. Um, I watched Hammer Horror like on TV when I was a child when they, you know, re them on BBC2. Um, but yeah no I didn't and it just didn't appeal to me I didn't those kind of horror films didn't interest me and I you know I'd watch them but I didn't really feel any kind of affinity towards them. My sister and I often watched East Asian um, horror cinema kind of in our teenage years Um, we went to Blockbuster and frequently got different VHS's out Um, so I had more of an experience of Eastern Asian horror and cinema than really any other type um, when I was a teenager. And it wasn't really till I turned 16, 17, I discovered Dario Argento's work that suddenly it kind of opened up this whole new world of horror for me. So unlike some people, I guess I didn't have that kind of exposure to the kind of 80s slashers and things beforehand. That's something that I came to after. So yeah, I suppose I just started with Dario Argento and moved to kind of Mario Bava and Sergio Martino and slowly started discovering um, these films, going into HMV and picking up what I could but, I mean, I, I know I talk about availability and how much easier it's been for me, but even like, you know, like the mid to late 2000s when I started getting into these films, it still wasn't easy. Like, you could get, yeah. like, you get Tenebrae or something in HMV, but you couldn't get, you couldn't pick up like Sergio Martino films or anything. So I think, you know, you had to get them from import. I think they were on, um, oh, what's the label? No, no, sh- no sure. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you kind of had to try and really seek these films out. I'm, I'm sure you could have downloaded them, but I wouldn't have been doing it at the time. Kind of slowly started to discover more and more Charlie, as you did, and yeah, learn about the genre.
0: That's so cool. Then I think it's really cool as well that we're, we're quite far apart in terms of age, but we're both like found our way to these films. And I think that it's really interesting that they still hold up so well, and they hold appeal for not just for people who grew up in like the 60s or 70s, but who grew up in in the 90s or 2000s and there's there's still interesting films and people want to watch them and these last couple of years have been amazing in terms of what which films that have turned up on on blu-ray
1: yeah i mean there's been a real explosion explosion in these kind of films and their popularity um even from you know when i started getting into them which wasn't that long ago you know like 13 years ago or something Um, i mean it's so nice to see so many uh, young people especially you know young women and all sorts of people from different backgrounds, different countries, like discover these films. So, kind of as a, a fan of them myself, I really love it when you see, you know, a 15 year old discover it for the first time and you think, oh, I remember my first experience watching that. Um, yeah. So, though, I know there's sometimes a little bit of discussion about people that maybe saw them when they originally came out or in the 80s or whatever. But, you know, I think it, it's like you said, it, it's important when a film kind of transgresses its time period to a certain extent and new people discover it. It's not like I'm saying the films aren't dated kind of in air quotes but there's still something that resonates with people now whether it's kind of the visual style or the music or or, you know like the kind of the plotting Um, and for sure
0: and i think that changes over time as well because i was i was thinking earlier today of what it is about these films that makes me love them so much and that have made me stay with them for like so many years and I think when you first come to them it's it's about the horror aspects of it I think about the violence about the like the murder mysteries about the the nudity and the titillation and that sort of thing mm-hmm. I think that's really important for most people when they first start watching them but in my case, When I'd watched a little bit more, I started really falling in love with the music. And when I watch them now, I really appreciate what the architecture, the fashion, and um, the Italian feel of it. I think that's really just as important as the murder mystery aspects of of the films.
1: Yeah, definitely, because there's other murder mystery films of the period that just never clicked with me so much. I think there's something very specific about Shyly, and like you said, that they're Italian. They've got the certain context and your Euro- very U- European Italian sensibility. I say European, I mean I'm European myself. I am Scottish, but yeah, there's something about it that just feels very stylish and very yeah. like, it just feels intrinsic to Italy that in that during that time period.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the style aspect is, is very important because if you compare them to to slashers which <laughs> some people do, I mean, I've enjoyed watching slashers. I'm not going to say that I'm not not a fan, but they never resonated with me in the same way as uh, generally have it's something about the europeanness of them the stylishness of them and they're very most of them are quite urban films Mm-hmm. um whereas slashers are often like it could be backwards or it could be suburbia but for me as a swede that's um that's quite far off whereas the urban setting of of rome for example or london is much it resonates much more with me
1: yeah definitely i, I completely agree with you on that like i am like yeah i do enjoy slasher films it's not that i don't enjoy them but there's just something about something about them that feels a bit more alien in a strange way i can't really yeah. put my finger on it um I think when we look at at Shally also, we're looking at films kind of from the late 60s to early 70s predominantly. Obviously, you know, there's a whole other discussion to have in regards to time periods. But slashers as well, you know, you're looking more at a lot like the late 70s, the very end of the 70s to predominantly the 80s. So even yeah. that kind of time difference, I mean, what's going on historically, socially, not only in terms of the kind of chasm between those two countries and the divide there, but just in terms of time progressing and all the advancements. So there's something that feels quite removed. There's something about those slashers that feel very different to the Shelly just because of, you know, the progression of time.
0: Um, yeah, no, I agree. So you sort of took a step of going from a fan to doing something more with your love these films can you tell me a little bit about how that happened
1: yeah well um as i said i kind of started getting into jali you know when i was like 17 16 17 um and you know as anybody discovering a genre of cinema you just kind of devour as much as you can you seek it out you look to other people to try and get information about what to watch um you know you find books and all sorts of different sources plowed through that for quite a few years um and then at some point I decided to start my own blog because I always wanted to write about these films and I felt this just from a personal perspective I went online and I there's lots there was lots of great writing and there's lots of books with great writing but I always felt there was kind of perspectives maybe that I didn't see I didn't see like a lot of female voices at that time writing pieces on the genre and I didn't kind of see a lot that was talking about those aspects we've just discussed you know like the architecture the interior design the costuming not not like I'm trying to present myself as oh so I went and did all that and wanted to kind of write the true way or whatever it's just more of a I just kind of saw that gap and I was like well I want to read stuff about these aspects so I'm just gonna go ahead and write it and at that stage I felt like I was confident enough in my knowledge to be able to do that I felt like I I, you know read so many sources I'd watched so many films I'd formulated all these opinions I mean it did take me a while to get to that stage because I'm always kind of of the opinion that you really want to know your stuff before you start speaking about it and I don't necessarily think that's that's right for everyone I think go ahead and write about a film or speak about a film you don't know about but just kind of from my perspective I was like I kind of want to know what I'm talking about
0: yeah no I completely agree with that I remember going on the on the forums back in the late 90s or early 2000s, and just... I was just lurking for, for a long time before I got into the discussions because I wanted to learn and I wanted to find out what people knew and I find that people in the horror community in general are quite generous in sharing their knowledge and shout out to my, to my good friend Johnny Redman who is who is really generous with like providing me with films and like insights and stuff that really made me get a better understanding and a better overview of the genre and I met some great people through him as well. I'm now at a point Point where i feel comfortable like getting into these discussions with you uh and talking about these films but i wouldn't have been five ten years ago i think
1: yeah and it kind of highlights an important point which is every everyone starts somewhere when it comes to film nobody comes out as a film expert you know everyone's learning all the time like these films even though we're saying we feel like we're really well versed in them which i think we are you know, we know our stuff, but there's still stuff that we're learning all the time. You know, Peter sourced a book like they was telling me about um, recently, um, with all this information in it that just you never see. And I don't think it's really on record, um, like on the internet. So there's always things to be learned. And I think hopefully, you know, people that are listening to this, the podcast that we do, um, that might not know these films as that well, or might be just getting into the genre, you know, maybe in 10, 15 years they'll be writing a book on it or be doing their own podcast. So it's really important, like that community aspect, and for people to feel like, you know, you can ask questions and you can be a novice and you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to worry about looking kind of stupid when it comes to film. You know, ask questions, learn, and yeah, just take part in the community.
0: Yeah. The first post on your blog that I remember reading was that. I think it was the Tenderbury one, uh, the Fashion Post, which really struck a chord with me because here was somebody who was writing about a film that I've seen countless times from a perspective that I've never thought about and I thought that was really interesting and you've written some great pieces about these films from from like a different angle which is so interesting because you don't want to you don't want to read the same thing over and over again about these films you want a new perspective fresh eyes
1: yeah definitely and and thank you for saying that that's, re- that's really kind honestly when people say that to me I'm always like really overwhelmed like if I've written something that's resonated with people um because that's why you write something isn't it you've got a perspective you want to put out there and hope people engage with it but even from what I was doing or what I continue to do is sometimes it's it's nice to look at the films themselves but sometimes you know you go out and you try and find information about things that might not seem as obvious you know you might go out and find out like in the tenebra example not that I wrote that in this piece but you know you find out who who was the architect that designed that amazing house where where the murders took place and you find information about that person you connect it back to other things and that's really a fun part of being a film fan is trying to connect all these pieces that might not be directly in the film if that makes sense
0: yeah no it certainly does because i think getting that deeper knowledge about these films and a different perspective and see how they sort of fit together when looking at the whole genre is really interesting and i think sometimes when you look at these films now it's like like we said it's much of how these films are perceived now is from how available they've been during the last 10 15 20 years Mm -hmm. But sometimes the films that were the most successful back in the 60s or 70s are more or less forgotten now. And the films that are widely considered Jalo classics were were just minor hits or not even hits at all. Um, And I think that's another really interesting perspective to look at as well and how, how... what is their place in the, in the genre that the sort of the bigger picture.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so fascinating, like that angle. And it's something that I've not really considered that much until fairly recently. And I think, you know, kind of our friendship, you've really highlighted those, those aspects. And like you kind of said from the get go in this podcast, you're very keen on the production history and looking at, you know, how well these films did and what resonated with audiences and digging up that history, because we're always kind of, like we've said, we're both European, but we're we're not Italian. We weren't around at the time. I don't think the majority of people that are into these films are English speaking. weren't you know in Italy in the early seventies? They didn't really know that no. information. Like you, you, yeah. you just didn't live through it. So any kind of resources that highlight that are really important, and it's really good to actually draw back and go, well, how were these films saved at the time? So that's yeah, what exactly. that's kind of what you're digging into. So hopefully, you can kind of bring that perspective to the podcast.
0: Yeah, let's let's hope we can do <laughs> yeah, that. Cross. Yeah so how did you make the transition from because I think a lot of people know who you are because you your name has popped up in quite a few places over the last couple of years Yeah so how did how did you go from having the blog to to being published and appearing in documentaries and stuff?
1: So I was just um, writing away on my blog, Hypnotic Crescendos, and writing things that interest me, um, just as a hobby, really. I didn't really consider getting into film criticism. This is just a hobby of mine. Um, yeah. And then I wrote a piece about central Syndrome, and I looked at the fashion and how it represented the different facets of Anna Manny's characters, character, even. and uh, I can't remember who exactly it was that saw the post so forgive me if I get the name wrong but I think it might have been Daniel Sardella not 100% sure and he maybe shared that link with Michael McKenzie who's a producer at Arrow and he really enjoyed what I wrote which was which was great like unexpected and I got an email from him saying would you like to contribute an essay to the Killer Dames box set and something kind of along the same lines and I'll never forget getting that email because I just so bowled over to get that and it wasn't something I sought out. Like I said, I wasn't looking to get into this arena. I wasn't emailing people. I wasn't really promoting myself that much. I think my Twitter following was awful at the time. I don't think I had that many followers. I think I knew you at the time. But yeah, no, it was it was amazing. So I I did an essay about the production design in a kind of similar way on that release. And then I thought, oh you know, that's a great thing that I managed to do and I'll always have that and you're just happy to be included in a release and have that under your belt. And then I kind of got more work with Arrow, which, again, every time I got an essay, I was like, I can't believe they're asking me again to do this. was <laughs> <laughs> Like, overwhelmed. Like, even now, I still can't believe it. Um, then I kind of ended up doing a featurette for 88 Films and um, I was in a documentary about Umberto Lenzi's Eyeball and just kind of, you, you, I don't know, I suppose once you get a name for yourself, people ask you to do things and I just kept tweeting kind of Italian cinema content um kind of built up a following that way and then I've not written on my blog in a while but you know I still did a few pieces on that as well so that's just kind of how it developed but it wasn't planned it just kind of happened very organically and I'm very privileged to kind of be in the position that I'm in um yeah because it certainly I certainly didn't position myself as an expert I was just coming from it like from my own perspective as a fan who loved these films and wanted to to write these articles that are maybe a wee bit different um so it was all great.
0: It's very well deserved that that your essays get used on these releases.
1: Thank you. That's very kind. Of...
0: We've been on two. Is it two? We have been releases? on,
1: yeah, two releases together. I know because I feel like I'm talking about kind of my journey, and I'm sure a lot of people know about it. So for me, this is like boring, and you're probably going impressing that 15 seconds ahead, so she'll stop talking. <laughs> um, what's interesting for me is hearing kind of Peter's story, which. Um, I think other people kind of deserve to hear about his kind of role in the the community and what what he's done. So you've been on two, two releases now?
0: Yeah, I've been on two hour releases. Uh did the Anita Strindberg bio for Case of the Scorpion's Tale. Which is very and good. I, thank you very much. And I wrote um, a piece on the adaptation of... Um, the fifth chord
1: and that was a wonderful that- piece I just started to interject to make sure like, that everyone know it was like a really like I thought it was really really good um I was really happy that Peter wrote that because it again it's kind of an, an aspect that people might not be very aware of or they're not you know familiar with the source material so it was great for someone to kind of come in and write a piece comparing the film with its original source and I'm so sad that it was a limited booklet run because I want more people to kind of I've read it or to read it so
0: yeah <laughs> are, they, are they sold out already it must have sold fairly well then
1: i think the the booklet's no longer oh, okay in it. i might be wrong hopefully i'm wrong but yeah yeah,
0: yeah. And you did a great visual essay on that disc as well. That
1: was yeah, my first visual essay, which was terrifying.
0: I can well imagine. But it's a very interesting, um, you talk a lot about the architecture in, in that film and uh, the visual side of it. And it's a really good essay. We're very self-congratulatory. Yeah, it's, just, it's just very
1: lovely, this podcast. It's yeah. like, oh, aren't you great? No, like, <laughs> also, again, it's like, it's gone back to me. I don't want you to say anything about mine. I'm like, I wanna, we want to hear your story. I'm sick of talking about myself. <laughs> Because obviously you've written these um pieces for Arrow releases, which have both been great, but you've kind of had some involvement in the community prior to that and prior to your kind of experiences on the forum. So I thought you could maybe tell us a bit about the blog that you, you had or you have.
0: The Jalo Dean blog? Oh yeah. It's it's still out there, but I haven't touched it in a long time. But <laughs> I started uh I started collecting um uh Lucandinas um the the day build posters um for jello films uh it's probably about 15 years now or something like that and i've managed to get quite a sizable collection huge collection um, <laughs> so i was approached um by it was camera obscura who was the first company that approached me about using scans of my posters for cover art so That's been used quite a lot for Arrow, Shameless, 88 Films, Koch in Germany. I've got some coming up for Synapse and for Severin Films as well. And the artwork's been used in um, Troy Howard's So Deadly, So Perverse books as well, and in Roberta Curtis' books. Fantastic. I'm just really pleased that people are interested in seeing like the original cover art. There's some great uh, new artwork being done for, for these releases, but I always want to have the, the original artwork included in the release as well. So I'm just ha- really happy to be able to provide that for these releases. Yeah,
1: and I think that's really important. I think you know, you've contributed to so many releases, and people just aren't aware of that connection because obviously, it's not as obvious as a commentary or an essay or, or, or a visual essay but you know this is like really vital in kind of preserving um original artwork for these releases and having that kind of you know that choice of having the new artwork or having the old artwork and I think it's really commendable what you do and how you're so open to sharing your collection and again giving back to the community
0: yeah obviously with this old artwork that it was so beautiful the um... The poster the film poster art that was made in the like 60s and 70s mm-hmm. uh, and it's now these days it's just so bland and boring and um, it's great to see it used uh, and see to see people appreciate it
1: yeah and what's interesting is seeing that kind of artwork um, come back in vogue so you'll see a lot of um, new horror films which which take that kind of classic late or mid to late 60s kind of 70s approach to the art um yeah. kind of emulate that style.
0: Yeah, you can tell now that there's quite a lot of people coming up that have been exposed to these films and that are just starting out as filmmakers and you can see their influence that they've been influenced by these films which is which is really interesting as well I think.
1: Yeah, it's kind of fascinating and I'm sure at some point we'll get onto the whole neo-jolly discussion cuz or just you oh, know yeah. films that have had some sort of connection to these uh, films from the past and how you see the kind of modern reinterpretation of of those films
0: yeah exactly so we got to know each other on twitter i I looked today and i registered in 2015 so we got to know each other there fairly quickly didn't we yeah
1: i think you know we i don't i can't remember sorry i can't remember our first uh interaction on there but i think yeah, from it's probably since 2015 we've been in touch with one another or aware of each other
0: yeah and we met once.
1: We have met once in Stockholm when I was on holiday. So obviously I had to have a quick pit stop and meet Peter.
0: It's good to meet you and your husband. to Go out for a pint or two. Yeah,
1: a few pints. So yeah. managed that.
0: And this is only like what the third time that we've actually spoken since. Yeah,
1: I mean, most of our communications kind so... of through Twitter, DM. So it's quite nice to actually just be able able to speak. But I just, I think, you know, like, I've, I've talked about the community aspect and how important it is. And Peter, somebody... Sorry, Peter, who's older than I am. Um, and it's really nice to have that support and someone, you know, from the word go, he's been very receptive. And it was really nice to get like his feedback and to be able to talk about these ideas. And it's never kind of been in a way where it's like, well, I'm older and I know more than you. And like, we're very much equals and you've kind of supported what I've done and I hope I've like tried to support what you've done as well. And it's oh, like a, a good are. relationship. And I think, you know, again, like coming back to the whole community, community aspect, it's nice to kind of have people you can talk to and know, I'll watch oh, what I say, but nothing kind of condescending or you didn't come to these films when I did, or you don't remember that you don't remember the VHS days. It's, you know, it's not like that. It's a, it's about the films.
0: Yeah. None of us are fans of gatekeepers. I mean, I I love it when you when people find these films or discover these films and I'm really happy to help out and like come up with suggestions of where they can go next. And that's one of the things that we we hope to be able to do with this with this podcast as well and point people in the direction of films that they that that you might otherwise miss.
1: Yeah. And that audience feedback will be really important to us. So, you know, if you want us to cover certain films, time periods or certain directors, you know, it'd be nice to kind of know what you want to want to find out about it as a fan or if you've got any questions for us. And yeah, I want it to be like a kind of community approach.
0: Exactly. We're hoping to do, or our plan is to do a film per episode and then we might possibly do like bonus episodes later on where we talk about other subjects. But the main episodes of this podcast will be one film per episode, more or less, unless we, we talk about a specific subject and in, in which we talk about um, maybe several films. <laughs> and we think that we'll, we'll probably stay away from like the Argento and the Fulci films yeah at least for now I
1: think you know like we both talked about how we we want to kind of showcase those lesser known shall so it would be a bit rich if we said that and then we're like right so today we're going to talk about the bird of the crystal plumage um we yeah. might do it you know we probably if we continue to do this so hopefully we do I'm sure we'll you know tackle those more um known films but yeah it's just trying to um, cover something a bit different or not so obvious, and I think we've kind of put our heads together and come up with a list of you know films that we'd like to cover in the first few episodes. And we think they're a good representation of different time periods and different themes and different styles. So there'll be something yeah. kind of distinctive to talk about in each in each podcast. So you're not going to get like films that are all like in the Bird of the Crystal Plumage blueprint. You'll have something a bit no. different, maybe something you know more on the Gothic side or or a later period. Uh,
0: film. Yeah, to so look at the, the genre from a from a slightly different perspective. So shall we start to wrap this up before we bore people out of their scars with talking about ourselves. I was gonna
1: say I feel like you've done well <laughs> if you've got to this point and heard me <laughs> rambling on and talking too quickly. My mother like was like I told her I was doing this podcast and she said, could you please not speak quite too quickly, which is something I'm very <laughs> Bad about, um, but I made sure I didn't have any alcohol. Well, you
0: don't have to worry; they can slow, oh, yeah, they can slow down, it down, so it'd be fine if that's the I case. I made sure I
1: didn't have any alcohol because, you know, after two pints, I'll be slurring. My accent will get <laughs> really like much thicker, and I'll be speaking like a million miles an hour. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: So before we go, we just want to give a shout out to um, a few people that have helped us out so far. And first of all, uh, a shout out to my good friend uh, Jesper Viking, who's uh, a graphic designer and who used to run a film club with me called uh, Tutti Colori dell'Italia here in Stockholm. And uh, he's helped us out with the graphics, which we think looks really great and make us look far more professional than we do. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, they look phenomenal. I was bowled over when I saw saw them. I was very happy because he just completely captured what we wanted to do
0: um yeah. very good work thank you <laughs> so he's he's very good at that uh, the other people that we want to give a shout out to is the O'Socks, which is um eric adrian lee and uh, robbie augsberger who's responsible for the, the wonderful cover of Riz ortolani's um seven bloodstained orchids theme which played in the beginning and they've been kind enough to let us use it and um you might know Eric as the guy behind all the fantastic record covers for um, Death Wars records. The beautiful Jalo releases of Case of the Scorpion's Tale, Black Belly of the Tarantula, My Dear Killer...
1: And they're absolutely stunning, um, yeah, the, the work that he does. is just, yeah, wonderful.
0: Yeah, he's very good at capturing the essence of, of the genre, I 100%. think. 100%. And he's made plenty of covers for Jalo Disco as well. The theme is actually out on the limited edition Flexidisc on Lenaris Records nice. in two colours, I think. I think it's white and red. And you can order it from um, straight from Lenaris Records or from... Transmission records if you're in Europe. And you can also pick up their previous EP, One Thing, on Bandcamp. And they call it uh, Baroque Pop. For those of you who like their Eurocult sounds, there's a track on there which is called Death of a Candle, which would definitely appeal to fans of Eurocult sounds. Very good. And shout out to Chad as well from lunaro's Records for letting us use the theme tune.
1: Yes, thank you very much, because I would have been very sad if we didn't get to use that wonderful piece of music.
0: Yeah, exactly and if you do want to follow us on social media you're rachel underscore nisbet right on twitter yeah but
1: i feel like when we do this everyone's gonna be like how do we spell those names <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's just it's at rachel rachel's got an a like rachel from blade runner so two a's and then underscore nisbet n-i-s-b-e-t and you can be found at...
0: Signor Ward on Twitter. And if you do want to reach us by by mail, you can mail us at fragmentspod at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, we'd love to get your feedback on, um, you know, like what you think or what you'd like to to hear from us. It'd be really nice to, nice to hear that.
0: Yeah, and by the time you hear this, there will be a second episode or the first proper episode where we actually discuss a film. So we hope to have you back for that. And until then... Thank you very much. Thank
1: you for listening. Bye.